Father, do ask for the teaching ministry of your spirit. We pray, Lord, you would illumine our understanding of the word of God by the power of your Holy Spirit, and you'd make us more like Jesus because we've been here today. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, there was these uh, three women who were driving down the road together and they got in a horrible car accident and all three of them died and they went to heaven. And when they got into heaven, St. Peter met them and St. Peter said, welcome to heaven, but I want you to know that there is one really important rule you need to keep in mind while you're here. And that is don't step on the ducks. And ducks were everywhere. Ducks were walking around. He says, if you step on a duck, that's the one thing you cannot do in heaven. You step on a duck, and you'll have to pay the penalty. So sure enough, right off the bat, one of the three women steps on a duck. So St. Peter shows up with the ugliest man she's ever seen, and she chains him to her and says, you stepped on a duck, and for all eternity, you'll be, you'll be chained to this ugly man. Well, sure enough, the next day, the second woman, she stepped on a duck. Here comes St. Peter. He's also dragging along the ugliest man she'd ever seen in her life. And she, he begins to chain him to her and say, you violated the one thing you can't do in heaven. You stepped on a duck. So you are chained for eternity to this ugly man. Well, by this time, the third woman is thinking, I'm not stepping on any duck. Because I do not want to be chained to an ugly man for eternity. So she is so careful not to step on a duck, and she goes month, month after month after month, doesn't step on a duck, and she's so happy about this, and all of a sudden, St. Peter comes toward her with the most handsome man she's ever seen. I mean, tall, dark, and handsome, and muscular. She's never seen any man so handsome. St. Peter comes and starts to chain this handsome man to her, and she says to him, wow, what have I done what have I done to be chained to you for eternity? He said, I don't know what you've done, but I stepped on a duck. <laughs> well, heaven isn't really like that. Heaven's actually so glorious, and the rewards that we receive. It will be, that will be forever and ever are just so important that we keep in mind the reality of where we're headed, where we're headed and what is waiting for us when we get there. And I say that up front because as we come to the end of this message, you'll understand why this is so important. Now, we began this series on food for the soul, learning how to study the Bible. Remember, there's three key words that we want to keep in mind when we study the Bible, and those three words are observation, interpretation, and application. Observation, what do I see? Paying attention to every detail of what you're reading. What do I see? Interpretation, what does it mean? What did it mean to the original audience? And then what, does, what, what actually transfers to me? What principle? What does it mean to me today? An application, how does it work? How do I apply it to my life? And so in the small groups, you're learning about observation, interpretation, application. And there's just a great opportunity to discuss this in your small groups after you hear the video each week. But what I'm doing on Sunday morning is we're taking the seven weeks 
the seven Sundays of this series, and I'm taking the seven churches out of the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. And we're doing regular messages like we normally do, but I'm trying to point out a few keys to Bible study uh, in the midst of these messages. Now, last week, we talked about the first of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, which is in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7, and that was the church in Ephesus. Now, what we notice when we started to do that study is we realized that if we're going to do a good study of a specific passage in a book, we need to understand what's going on in the book in large. We need to understand the context of what's happening in the book of Revelation. And what we find out is we read through the whole book of Revelation and begin to kind of become familiar with it, we realize that it's all about a cosmic battle between good and evil. It's about a, a battle between the loyalties of people, whether they're loyal to Jesus or not. And to not be loyal to Jesus, ultimately, you're in Satan's camp, whether they're conscious of that or not. And there is a spiritual war going on, and all spiritual warfare has as its goal the loyalties of people. And so when the, when the devil attacks someone or tempts someone or, uh, you know, or accuses someone, the goal of the devil always is ultimately to get them to no longer be loyal to Christ. That's his end goal, the end game. And so when we get into the seven churches, we see that that context of spiritual warfare is very important as we study the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Because what we discover is each of the seven churches, specific historical churches in what we now know of as the country of Turkey, it was Asia Minor back then, each specific church was under spiritual attack by the devil. And what Jesus does is he speaks to each church, and what he tells each church ultimately is how to overcome the attack of the devil. He talks about how to become overcomers, and to be an overcomer, is to overcome the devil's attempts to get you to walk away from Jesus, to be disloyal to Jesus. So there's messages to each specific church, specific messages to historical churches. But Jesus ends each message by saying, let him who has ears hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural, So though he speaks to each specific church, he ends each admonition with the fact that they need to listen, all the churches need to listen to what he says to that church. And so as we go through this, of course, we need to learn what he says to a specific church, but what is is the uh, principle that applies to Grace Community Church today? What can we learn from it? So the first church he addresses is the church in Ephesus. Now, again, we talked about last week, about it's important to have a Bible dictionary. First of all, it's important to have a good study Bible and then to have a Bible dictionary or an app that does what a Bible dictionary would do. Because the first thing you'd want to do is you'd want to read about Ephesus. You'd want to know about this city. You'd want to learn things about this was like the number one port city in all of the Roman Empire at the time of this writing. I mean, it was a happening place. You you want to learn what was going on. We find out that it was steeped in the occult, the city, in which a church was was, was beginning to really develop early on through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But now something has happened to this church. 35 years later, after Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians, 
Now, Jesus addresses this, addresses this church and says this to them. He says that basically you've become the shell of what you once were. You got things that look okay on the outside. You're still having church meetings and still doing some good deeds. So things are right on the outside, but you've become the shell of what you once were. He says, because you lost your first love. You lost your first love. That love, that simple love of Jesus out of which everything flows, all our life and ministry flows out of that love relationship. And Jesus says to them that you lost that. You lost that love, that first love. You lost that love where Jesus was first in everything with you and now he's not first anymore. You lost that and you've become the shell of what you once were. Now see, so this is part, right away we learned a strategy last week as we study this, about what the devil tries to do. The devil tries to get us to lose that first love, to leave it behind. He tries to get us to do that because he knows that apart from Jesus, apart from him, John 15, we can do nothing. So he tries to get us to skim. He tries to get us to skim spiritually and to skim relationally to live such busy and hurried lives that we just skim. Everything we do is skimming. We don't take any time to just be with the Lord. We don't take time to pray. We don't take time to read his word. We don't take time to listen to his voice. And result of that pattern, which so many Christians get, a pattern of just being hurried, being rushed, and skimming, is that you become the shell of what you once were. And you begin to run on empty spiritually. And you don't feel anything anymore. You're still doing stuff on the outside. You got the shell. But on the inside, you don't feel anything anymore. You don't feel anything toward God. There's not that affection, that adoration. And you don't feel anything toward people maybe even anymore. And so it's a horrible way to get. It's a horrible thing to become the shell of what you once were. And so Jesus, he loves the church in Ephesus, and he tells them how to get back, their, get back to the place where they were how to regain their first love. He tells them how. And simply we summarize what he said last week as remember, repent, and redo. Remember, remember what it was like when Jesus, we just loved Jesus and everything was about just loving him. It was a joy to spend time with him. And remember, just go back and remember that time. And then repent, repent, repent from from this kind of the way things got and how you turned away and got your priorities all messed up. Repent from that. Make a turn back and then redo. Begin to redo the things you did at first. What was that pattern that you had that, that you really caused you to walk closer to Jesus? What were you doing? How much time were you spending with him? What was your schedule like? I mean, go ahead and redo that. Go back to that. And so that's what we saw, talked about last week. And that's one of the key strategies of the devil, by the way, not just against the church in Ephesus, but against churches. Remember, this is a message to the churches that we got to realize that the enemy wants us to skim. He wants us to not spend time with Jesus. He doesn't. He wants us to not go deep with Jesus. He wants us to leave, you know, to, to leave that first love behind because we got so many other things that we love and demand our time. And so... Pay attention to that. Don't let that happen to you. Now, remember, what's ultimately at stake is the devil doesn't just want you to, you know, stop having good quiet times and good devotionals. The devil wants you to, to leave your loyalty behind to Christ. And what we got to understand is if, if, if I leave my affection behind and my adoration behind, it's not long before I leave my 
allegiance behind. And so, we, so pay attention to that. Don't let that happen. And if it already has happened, remember, repent, and redo. Get back. Get it back. All right, now we're going to go to the second church that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And this is a church in Smyrna, a church in Smyrna. Let's read the, read the account. Revelation 2, starting in verse 8, says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So now the first thing we should do as, as Bible students, the first thing we ought to do is we ought to open up a Bible dictionary and we should read some about Smyrna. We should find out about this city, what was going on in this city. What we learn is we learn that Smyrna was a city about 40 miles north of Ephesus in the country of Turkey today. Now, today that city is the city of Izmir. I've been to that city. I've been to the ruins of Smyrna as well. But as you, and, and it's just really, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful uh, seaport city. But as you read in your Bible dictionary, you also learn this, and this is really important. You learn that Smyrna was the center of emperor worship in the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. It was the center of emperor worship. In fact, emperor worship in Smyrna was compulsory for every Roman citizen on the threat of death. Once a year, a citizen had to burn incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar. And after he did that, or she did that, you were then issued a certificate proven that you had done your emperor worship. Yet most Christians refused to do this. And because of that, many of them suffered persecution and even martyrdom. Remember, if they didn't do it, the threat was, there was a threat of death. In fact, some years after this writing of Revel, book of Revelation, there was a church leader by the name of Polycarp. He was a church father in Smyrna. And that same certificate was required and emperor worship was required on the threat of death even in the time of Polycarp some 40 years or 50 years later. So what did Polycarp do? Well, we know a little bit about this. We know that he actually fled Smyrna and he went to live in a village outside of Smyrna. 
But he was found. A captain knocked on the door with his troops behind him. Polycarp opened up the door, and Polycarp was well-respected. And this captain did not want to arrest him. So he pleads with Polycarp, and he actually says to him, just say Caesar is Lord. Just say it. You don't have to mean it. Just say it. So we don't have to arrest you. Just say it. <clears throat> and Polycarp is quoted as saying, referring to Jesus, he's been my God for 86 years, and he's never betrayed me yet. How can I betray my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So they led him back to Smyrna, They tied him to a stake and they set him on fire. But he would not deny his Lord. He would not do it. Now, what is it in somebody, what is going on in somebody's life to make them like that? We'll come back to that. Now, the Romans were not the only ones that were persecuting Christians in Smyrna at this time. There's also a large and hostile Jewish community that was persecuting Christians and blaspheming in Smyrna. They were Jews in the flesh, but they were not Jews spiritually because they were not children of Abraham by faith. They weren't believers. That's why Jesus calls their synagogue a synagogue of Satan because they were doing the work of Satan, which is blaspheming and persecuting Christians. Because they were doing the work of Satan, Jesus calls that the synagogue of Satan. But whether it was Romans or Jews that are persecuting the Christians, what Jesus lets us know, and ultimately the force behind them who's really doing the persecution is Satan. Passage makes it clear that he is the force behind them being arrested. They will be arrested by Romans, but he wants them to know. He said, but Satan will throw you into prison because ultimately the force behind those human agencies is the devil. It's the devil who's persecuting the Christians. It was then and it is today. So why does he do that? Why does Satan persecute Christians? Well, again, his goal is to intimidate Christians first and first to stop preaching the gospel. He can't stop the message, so he's got to stop the messenger. But his goal goes beyond just trying to stop Christians from preaching the gospel. He wants to get us to defect. He wants us to cease being loyal to Christ. Remember, again, spiritual warfare is ultimately a battle for the loyalties of the people of the earth. So Satan uses this strategy all throughout history. The strategy by bringing intimidation and persecution to Christians to get them so intimidated they back off. They no longer talk about Jesus. They quiet themselves and maybe even walk away from Jesus. That's that's the devil's ultimate goal. In fact, when we study the book of Acts, we see the church born in Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, By Acts chapter 4, we have the first persecution of the church. And what happened was the church felt that persecution. They felt the intimidation. They felt the pressure to back off. 
from preaching the gospel. What did they do? They went back to the prayer meeting. And after that prayer meeting, they filled with the Holy Spirit again. And that's something that we are continually filled over and over. We see that. They're filled with the Holy Spirit again, and they speak the word of God with more boldness than ever before. So Satan's first strategy in the book of Acts, we see a strategy here with the churches in the book of Revelation. And his strategy right now in many places in the world, in fact, all places in the world at different levels, is to get Christians intimidated. Intimidated so they'll back off. Well, it didn't work in the book of Acts because they went back to the prayer meeting, which, by the way, anytime you begin to become shy or intimidated about talking to somebody about Jesus, ultimately the first thing we need to do is go back to our prayer room. Remember, remember that pattern in the book of Acts. Prayer releases power, Holy Spirit power. Power releases ministry. The result of ministry will be more opposition. So what do you do? Go back to the prayer meeting. Go back to the prayer room for more power and more ministry. So the devil's strategy in the book of Acts didn't work. Now, in, in here with the church of Smyrna, Jesus points out that they were suffering with poverty and tribulation. So they, they were physically and economically suffering. But Jesus said, but you held on to your true riches, but you're rich. And you held on to what's really true, your spiritual life. You, you held on to that. That's where true riches are. But he says that they had tribulation. In fact, it'd be good in Bible study. You want to look words up. What does that word mean? Well, this word that is translated tribulation means pressure. Literally means pressure. It's, there's pressure against the church. It, feel, it feels the pressure to, to stop being faithful to Christ. It feels pressure. Uh, Jesus says this intense persecution, he says, will last for 10 days. Now, anytime you have something like that, you, the first thing you do is say, is, is, is he talking about a literal 10 days? Or could he mean something else by this? Now, we have no reason to automatically conclude that this is, uh, is, is a metaphor of some sort. It could be a literal 10 days. But we do know that this 10-day this idea of 10 days appears a couple times in the Old Testament. Some think it is Semitism for a short period of time. Like when Daniel and his, and his young buddies were, were held captive by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And, and he had, they asked their, temp, their, uh, their, their guards to say, just test us for these 10 days and see if we're not healthier than everybody else with just vegetables and no, no wine and meats that's been sacrificed to idols. Just test us these 10 days. Otherwise, just a short period of time, and you'll see. You'll see that uh, God is blessing us. And so some think that he's referring to, say, a Semitism, just a short period of time. But really, in, in our understanding here, it doesn't really matter whether it's a literal 10 days or he just means a short period of time because his point is that their suffering, their suffering will be short-lived. And by the way, all suffering, all tribulation, all persecution is short-lived. In light of eternity, it's all short-lived. Whatever we're going through right now that we think it'll never end, it's going to end. It's short-lived. And then forever and ever and ever is coming. All persecution is short-lived in light of eternity. Keep that in mind. This is important for us to remember. Whatever, whatever pressure comes your way, because you stay loyal to Christ, 
Understand, it's just, it's just passing. It's short-lived. And then comes glory forever and ever. So the church of Smyrna has all kinds of pressures and persecutions against it. But they remain faithful in the midst of all this demonic intimidation. So here's the question, I think. What was it about the church of Smyrna that enabled it, enabled it to face pressures that they're, they're facing and stay true to the Lord? What enables a church to be able to endure suffering and stay true, stay faithful and true to the Lord? Well, we already saw in the book of Acts that it was prayer's key, but here we see something else. Jesus identifies himself here as the first and the last. He's the exalted Christ of the earlier, the previous chapter, chapter 1. Now, what's interesting here is what you would read in the Bible dictionary is that Smyrna actually claimed itself to be first. In fact, they, had the, they, had, they, were, they were talked about, they had this reputation that they were first in beauty and first in emperor worship in all of Asia. So Smyrna was first. Well, Jesus plays off of that. And Jesus said, points out that he's actually first. In fact, he's the first and the last. And when he does that, he actually takes the title, one of the, one of the descriptions of Yahweh God in the Old Testament, and he attributes it to himself. Let's read that. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord. Now, Lord here is in all capitals. That is the name for Yahweh. The name that God told Moses was his name, Yahweh. I am that I am. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, God, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God besides me. So Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God come in the flesh. He's the first and the last. He was here before creation and he'll be here at the end. He is eternal. And he became a man, an historical person of Jesus and Nazareth, and he died on the cross. Jesus said, and I was dead and I came back to life, and he rose again. And I think it's important, again, that Jesus, Jesus is saying certain things to a persecuted church they need to hear. Here's a church that's undergoing suffering, and they need to know that and they're suffering, suffering in the name of Jesus, and many of them are going to face death. And they need to know that Jesus, who's already died and rose again, who's already conquered death, is with them. The one who conquered death, and some of you are facing death, you need to know that he is with you. He tells them that. So stay faithful in the midst of persecution, because I've overcome death, and you belong to me. So I think it's important. I, another thing that's important when, when, the, when the pressures are coming against you, Whatever they may be, that you realize, you don't forget, you remember that Jesus is with you. He, he's been through it all. He's with you. But there's one more thing. That if we're going to stay true and loyal to Jesus and be overcomers, overcome the devil's attempts to make us disloyal, then there's one more thing that we have to have. The Church of Smyrna had it. And that is an eternal, eternal perspective. 
They believed that they wouldn't be hurt by the second death. They believed that they would be rewarded the crown of life. They're going to live forever in glory, glory in heaven. They're going to be rewarded for their faith and faithfulness. And that's so important. And we got to, I mean, if you're going to be able to handle difficulties, you got to believe what is coming is worth going through this and staying true. You got to believe it. And what's coming is worth it. I don't know how many of you know that in Afghanistan, Right now, they estimate there's between 10,000 and 12,000 Christians. And they're in hiding. Many of the pastors have told their churches to stay in hiding. Taliban is going door to door. Many of these, uh, most of them were Muslims who became Christians, which is against Sharia law, which which, is punishable by death. And so there is a list Taliban has a list. They're trying to find them. Many of them are hiding. Many have escaped to the hills, trying to find some safety. Many of them are expected to be killed by the Taliban. That's happening right now. Also, they fear for the safety of their children. The Taliban has publicly said that they plan to, and I quote, eradicate the ignorance of irreligion. By taking non-Muslim women and girls as sex slaves and forcing the boys to serve as soldiers. That's happening right now. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why when we talk about source of compassion, we're having this this, this on on property, like one giant yard sale on Grace Community Church, and all the money is going to this ministry of supporting those in Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters. Many of you know that Nick and Aziza who lead Source Compassion Ministry that we're doing right now in Central Asia, are Afghans. They were Muslims who became Christians, and they, and, and, and they basically fled for their lives years ago. And so I just encourage you on this, this Saturday, October 16th, you know, whatever you got that can be sold, bring it up here, all that money. Because some people think, I don't, I don't have any money to give and help, but I got some stuff. That maybe we could sell, and we're going to, everything, all that money is going to go to that relief. I just want you to know. So I hope you'll really uh, look for ways that you can be involved in that. So the key to having an eternal perspective is you got to believe that what is coming is worth me staying true to Jesus no matter what I'm going through now. I need to be an overcomer. I need to overcome Satan's attempts to turn me away from Christ. So whatever I, I lose now, I mean, what I'm gaining is so, so outshines it that it, that's, I'm going to stay true to Christ. Whatever I suffer right now, the reward that's coming is so worth it. That has to be, that's an eternal perspective. And yet people these days, they they don't want, they want to live for today. They don't want to live for tomorrow. And it's kind of like, I want you to real quick understand, like when when they had, we had the the Barnett shell and people were signing gas leases and getting that upfront money. The church at that time, we got about a quarter million dollars for our 11 acres. But then, you know, when we signed and a lot of people came here to sign for the neighborhoods around here. We, we opened up our campus for them to sign here. And, and people were talking about it. And, and people were thinking, I wish I'd have owned more land. In fact, I wish I knew this was coming. And I would, have, I would have sold everything I had and bought land just so I could sign a bigger lease. Now, what they're saying is that I, I wish I could somehow have disciplined myself and delayed gratification because what's coming would be so much of a payoff that it'd be worth it. That is, that is essentially what we do spiritually. We know what's coming is so worth it that we stay true right now and go through whatever we got to do, whatever sacrifice, whatever, 
whatever discipline, whatever loss. The believers in Smyrna knew that and did not back down. They believed it. Let me give you one last uh, thought before we close here, and that is this. The story is a really interesting story. There's a world-class female runner was invited to compete in a road race in Connecticut. She lived in New York City, so she drove up to this, this race, but she got lost. She's pretty sure she was in the area, and she stopped at a gas station and asked if this guy knew about where this race was. He said, yeah, there's one right up the street in the shopping mall. So he pulled, she pulled up there, and sure enough, they're all getting gathered and getting their numbers on ready for this race. So she runs up to the table, and they were, exp- they were surprised that this renowned female runner had come to their race. And they said, but you can still run. And so she went ahead and signed and thinking, there's not as many people as I thought there would be, and this race isn't as difficult as I thought it would be. But she goes ahead and runs the race. And sure enough, she won it easily. She wins by four minutes. The second-place person was a man, and and, and it was four four minutes behind her. And then she gets the reward for winning the race, which was a lot less than she expected. It was an envelope that had hardly any real value in it. And then she finally realizes... that she had gone to the wrong race. The race that she meant to run was, was further up to a smaller, further up the road, and it was a big race, and it was a big, big uh, prize. And so she realized she had gone to the wrong starting line, she had run the wrong race, wrong course, and she had missed the chance to win a valuable prize. I tell you that story because that's what I think so many people are doing right now on earth is they're running themselves ragged for prizes that don't compare for the real prize. They're living their lives for all the wrong things. They've lined up at the wrong race. And they're winning this pitiful prize, which is temporal, when they can live for eternal rewards. And I tell you, if you, if you ever flew over, if it's fly over an ocean, I just want you to imagine if you could open the window of a jet plane, just pour out your cup of coffee into that ocean down there, That is what our life is like compared to eternity, that cup of coffee compared to that ocean. And we're going to live forever and ever, ever and ever in glory. It matters that we stay true to Jesus and we don't give in to the pressures. Let's stand for prayer. Jose, I want you to come on up here. We're going to just close in prayer. Just bow with me if you would. Some of you right now, are facing some extreme pressure. Maybe, maybe it's at school, it's at work, it's with family. Pressure that's real and the cost is real. It costs you relationships. It could cost you your job. There's all kinds of pressure you're feeling not to stay true to Jesus, not to, not to speak about Jesus. Some of you are under a lot of pressure. Some of you aren't. Some of you aren't right now, but you will be. But some of you right now are. And we're going to close by praying for you. So as, as Jose, Jose is going to just sing over us, This song, I've decided to follow Jesus, a familiar song for many of you. But some of you right now are under a lot of pressure to compromise. And you know who you are right now. You know that's you. And we want to pray for you. We want you to stay true. So if that's you, just come out of your seat right now to the front so we can close by praying for you. Just quickly, slip out of your seat. You're under some pressure right now. Slip out of your seat and come on up so we can pray for you. Anybody else? You don't have to explain what it is, but you know there's just some pressure you're under right now. Pressure to back off. Anybody else? Hey, quickly come. You know who you are. Come so we can pray for you. 
And some of you slip out of your seat and just come and lay your hand on the shoulder down here. Just quickly slip out of your seat. Go ahead, Hosea. Just begin to pray for them. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow just like in Acts chapter 4, we pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. Make them bold. Give them wisdom on how to move forward. Give them boldness, Lord. Make them fearless. And Father, for all of us, I pray that you give us that eternal perspective, Lord, that whatever we're going through, Lord, it's, it's worth, Lord, staying true to you right now, being faithful to you for what's coming. So Lord, cause us to be those who really stay true for whatever's coming in our lives. As the pressure builds all over the earth, we pray for ourselves. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe, Lord, that we'd all stay true to Jesus and be overcomers. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.